Second uh, Timothy in chapter number one. Of course, it's Mother's Day, and uh, I, I don't, I don't preach, you know, simply because it's Mother's Day on a, a text that would apply to a mother, uh, just out of tradition or out of habit. But I feel like it's it is appropriate, and I feel like these are uh, lessons in the Bible that are important. And I believe it honors God that we look at it this morning. Uh, a, a scripture and a message about parenthood, about motherhood. And, uh, of course, there's lessons here that will apply to each and every one of us. Whether you are a mother, whether you are a parent, or whether you're neither, uh, these things are important. And so I think there will be helpful uh, principles for every one of us. I wanted to make sure that we don't just celebrate Mother's Day because it was uh, the invention of some kind of, uh, you know, marketing uh, strategist from Carlton Cards or something like that. Um, Where did Mother's Day come from? Well, uh, as far as the celebration of a national holiday, I found that Woodrow Wilson, the President of the United States in 1914, uh, declared Mother's Day, the, I think it's the, what is this, the second week of May, uh, second Sunday in May, uh, to honor moms. I tried to find out when it was instituted in Canada, and I actually never saw it anywhere online, um, but I'm not a great investigator, so someone else may be able to come up with that date. But there was a woman named Anna Jarvis who was pushing for Uh, this holiday for several years before uh, the President of the United States decided to make it a national holiday. And I'm sure that Mother's Day, even though I didn't look this up, I'm sure that was first. And then, you know, somewhere down the the years after that, uh, someone said, well, I suppose we ought to honor Dad, too, you know, and so let's make a Father's Day. But, um, but, you know, I, I think probably I can say this for all of us, that uh, we, we really do think it's important uh, and see the appropriateness of honoring moms. Because we, oftentimes we, we have to be reminded, but we stop and think for a moment, just like the song, you know, Count Your Blessings. We often receive blessings without considering them until we're kind of reminded to, hey, t- wait a minute, take a second and count your blessings and you'll see how blessed you really are. And when it comes to our moms, I think that we often uh, take for granted how blessed we are to have our mom and the mom that we had in our life. And when somebody said, hey, um, we should honor mom, let's make a Mother's Day, we all, I think we all said, that's a wonderful idea. Why didn't we think of that earlier? Uh, because certainly it is fitting. Well, our scripture text this morning is really one verse, Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5. Let's just read the verse and then we'll have a word of prayer. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded that in thee also... Let's take a moment to pray and ask for the Lord to teach our hearts. Father, as we consider the Word of God this morning, 
we're really just desiring that you would be honored most of all. We love our moms. We thank you for them. But we know it's by your grace that we have had the family that we have, that, we, uh, that these ladies that are here are here this morning. Lord, it's all by your mercy and by your grace. And so we give you praise. We give you thanks. And may you help our hearts to glorify you as we consider your word today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Um, of course, this was written to a man named Timothy. If you remember who Timothy is, I think probably you have a little bit of an understanding of the background. Uh, we have been in a series for the last couple of weeks out of Galatians. And I've, I've mentioned it a couple times that Paul uh, traveled to this area known as the area of Galatia. And it, there, was, there was different cities in that area. We mentioned some. There was uh, Lydia, and Derby, uh, Lystra, um, Iconium. And these were places that Paul visited on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. The Apostle Paul, as we have been looking at, had a unique calling as the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he had a, a real burden by, you know, given in, by God in his heart to... He, of course, he did love the Jews. We see that in his writing on a number of occasions. He uh, talks about it in Romans a couple of times, how his heart's desire, his prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And he certainly did go to synagogues and, and preach to the Jewish people, but primarily his ministry was among the Gentile nations. And he makes a statement, I think is an interesting statement in Romans chapter 15. I'll read it for you, beginning in verse number 20. He said, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. In other words, uh, it was a great burden of Paul that, um, that everybody hear the gospel. And of course, there were those that had some churches in, in their neighborhoods. There were preachers around Jerusalem and, and in Antioch and so forth. And it, it put, you know, he had the missionary heart, recognizing that there were towns further out in the Gentile world that had never once heard the, the gospel. And it was Paul's desire to go to those cities. And, and you know, he had that pioneer spirit, that missionary spirit. And thank God still uh, many have it today. That there are still missionaries that, you know, look on the map and they say, uh, I wonder if anybody in, in Zimbabwe is preaching the gospel. I wonder if there's anybody in this region of India uh, that's really, you know, sharing the message of Christ. And, and God burdens people's hearts and they, they leave behind um, all the, you know, the comforts and the, and the familiar, and they, and they set off to, to lands and nations and learn languages and go to preach where the gospel is not being preached. And thank God for men like that, people like that. Paul was one of them. 
And so he took this journey into the area of Galatia, and not too long ago, we actually uh, looked at Acts chapter 14. We don't have to turn there this morning. I'll just remind you that you'll remember the story, I believe, quite easily. Paul arrived, him and Barnabas, in a place called Lystra. Um, and while he was there, you remember there was a man that was healed, and, and the people of Lystra, growing up in a pagan society, they, they uh, made ready to worship Paul and Barnabas. They brought garland and an oxen, and they were ready to do a sacrifice, and, and they had basically said to Paul and Barnabas, or at least of Paul and Barnabas, that uh, they were gods. They named one of them Mercurius, and another one Jupiter. And, you know, believed that these were some kind of deities. And, of course, Paul uh, rushed in and he said, Oh, wait, wait a minute. No, no, no. Do not worship us. We're, we're men like you. Um, but there is a God. And it's in His power this man was healed. And, and, you know, we talked about this, I think, as we began Galatians. But what's really, I think, almost, I don't know, I, I hate to say humorous, but it, it does make you kind of chuckle or at least shake your head that, uh, and just a verse or two later, after they were going to worship Paul, they actually stoned him. <laughs> they threw stones at him and, and uh, you know, left him outside the city for dead. That was in Lystra. And Paul and Barnabas later leave there and go on their journeys. And after the council in Jerusalem we spoke of last week in Acts chapter 15... A few years later, Paul returns to Lystra. And this time he has with him Silas. And when he comes to Lystra, uh, the Bible says there was a young man there that had a good report among the church. A church had been established and, and uh, you know, people were saved, people were baptized, they were meeting there, they were worshiping the Lord. And Paul comes back and he finds this church. And I'm sure it was an encouragement to Paul to see that there were people being faithful. And then they, you know, they kind of, it seems like they made mention of this young fella. Hey, Paul, uh, there's this young man here named Timotheus, Timothy. And uh, he, really, he really is zealous for God. He really has a burden and a desire to serve the Lord. And they recognized the calling and the hand of God upon Timothy and they uh, laid hands on him, they ordained him, and they send him off to travel with Paul and Silas as a missionary. And we know that Timothy becomes like a son in ministry to the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing to Timothy at this point. Second Timothy is really, is, it's almost like from his deathbed. Paul is talking to Timothy. This is the last letter in the Scripture that Paul ever penned. And he says, he's, he has to kind of encourage Timothy. Timothy was, it's easy to remember this, he was timid. It seems when you read the, both letters written to Timothy that uh, he was a little shy, uh, maybe not as bold as Paul. And so, 
Paul tells him a couple of times, like if you look at verse number 8, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Uh, later on in verse number 12, he's, Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able, and so forth. Um, even in chapter 3, I believe it is, where once again Paul tells him to not be ashamed. Let me see if I can see it. Well, in chapter uh, 2, verse 15, he says, you know, to study, to show thyself approved, not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I think maybe that's the verse I was thinking of. But, but the point is this. Paul was kind of trying to bolster his courage, saying, look, don't be ashamed. You just stand true. You stand bold. Stand, uh, you know, with confidence. Because this is truth and we can preach it with boldness. But before Paul uh, gets to instructing him, in verse 5, our text, Paul, began, Paul starts off by basically encouraging Timothy with these words. If I can paraphrase it, he says to Timothy, you know, there's, as I was thinking about you, Timothy, there's something I really, really appreciate. Something I really uh, rejoice over when I think of you. And that is of your faith, that it's real. You see there when he says, in, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. That word unfeigned is an interesting word. It's um, the Greek word, I have it written down so I could kind of pronounce it, anupokritos. You say, well, okay, that's Greek to me. Well, um, if you kind of can hear the word hypocrisy in there, the word means without, without hypocrisy. He had a faith that was genuine. It wasn't hypocritical. It wasn't uh, two-faced. It wasn't, um, you know, put on. That's really what hypocrisy is. It means to wear a mask. It means to put on a costume to pretend. And he says, I remember, Timothy, your faith is not a put-on. It's real. And I appreciate that. We, we appreciate people that are real, don't we? Uh, nobody likes a phony. You know, when you, when you sense somebody, uh, you kind of say, I don't know if this is a, a slam against car salesmen, but I kind of think of that way. You know, like, he reminds me of a, a car salesman. You know, there's something... Something, uh, and I apologize to, I don't think we have any car salesmen around, but, um, you know, there's just something about them that seems a little, uh, just a little bit phony. And sadly, I think we might have met some preachers that seem that way. And we appreciate people that are just genuine, bona fide, real in their faith, and they don't put on any airs. They just are real. And that's the way Timothy was. But it wasn't just in Timothy. You know how he says, um, you know, it was in you, Timothy, but it was first in your mother. It was first in your mother and, and probably even before her and your grandmother. And so, 
I got to get to the, the Mother's Day message here. Um, the, as we think about it, I'm going to give you three thoughts about uh, motherhood. And the first one simply is that this mom and this grandma had a faith that was real. And that's, that's so important when, you come, when it comes to raising children for, for God. Because, as probably you, you would admit pretty quickly, we can, we can fake it on Sunday morning. We could fake it at church. You know, we could. I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying we can. We can put it on and, you know, and come to church and, and we can look the part and talk the talk. And, but you know where you can't fake it? In your house. And those that live in your home, they know whether or not your faith is genuine. And that's why, uh, you know, we've all heard it said by those children. And, and sometimes, you know, it's an excuse. Uh, everybody answers for themselves. But, but I've heard lots of young people say, well, my parents were hypocrites. You know, they, they came to church and they looked the part, but you don't know what they were like at home. And sadly, that many times is, is a proper indictment. But Lois and Eunice had a, a real faith. And a real faith is one that, uh, you know, is modeled, it's, it's seen, it's taught. That's why in Proverbs 29, verse 15, the Bible says, A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Because, you know, a mom really does have, and I, I don't want to, I don't misunderstand. We're not in any way excusing or making light of the responsibility that fathers have. But the fact of the matter is, moms do have such a, uh, probably the most powerful influence on the life of a child, especially a young child. And so, uh, moms are the greatest influence, which speaks, by the way, of the monumental importance of motherhood. I mean, I, I, I've grown a little impatient with our society and all the feminism and all this that, that denigrates motherhood. That, you know, makes it sound as though, uh, you know, that's, that's a secondary thing, that's a, a, a lesser position than women that are, you know, running businesses or doing something like that. Hey, I, I'm not... I'm not trying to you know, say anything about those who work and those who do things. I'm just saying that the, the position of a mom is so invaluable. And never forget that. You know, they used to say that the hand that rocked the cradle was the hand that moved the world. And, and really it's true. The influence, the, the impact, the, the way you can shape the next generation and and partly to blame, and I'll just say it, uh, is the fact that uh, many have bought into the feminist idea that uh, you can let somebody else raise your children and, and so on. And this has gone on for so long that uh, society has seen the, uh, the results of that. And I don't know all the, the ins and outs of these statistics, but I, I just heard this week as I was driving somewhere on the radio, I heard that uh, they were talking about 
the suicide amongst people under 12. How high of a rate that is. And like I say, I, I'm not making any uh, dogmatic statement about where it all is stemming from, but, but I can only imagine that uh, if, if a child has a, a mom that loves them and nurtures them, uh, there'll be much less of that in the world. Well, moms that have a, a faith that is real. If you want your children to have faith in God, you have to have a real faith. And you know, Eunice's faith stood in the face of an antagonistic society. It might be tempting to say, well, you know, uh, Eunice didn't face what we face today. We have uh, the internet, we have all kinds of corruption and, and ungodliness in our society and so on. No, but uh, Eunice faced a society where uh, they stoned the evangelist. She faced a society where they wanted to worship men as Mercurius or Jupiter or, you know. Uh, no, she faced the same challenges that moms face today. But she stood in the midst, in, in the, you know, stood in that society and showed a genuine faith in God. And it had an impact on Timothy's life. I believe we could say that she faced a divided home. When you read about Timothy in Acts chapter 16, you're told there that uh, his father was a Greek. Do you remember later on in that chapter, actually Paul takes Timothy and Timothy gets circumcised? Which is kind of interesting because in chapter 15 they said that you know, it was not required for salvation to be circumcised. But they did it for, uh, so that they wouldn't be a stumbling block. They did it so that you know, everybody knew his father was a Greek. In other words, his dad, here's the thing I want you to think about. Timothy's dad never allowed him to identify with his mother's religion. And I know lots of moms face these challenges today where, you know, um, dad's not supportive of the, uh, you know, of their, of their faith. You know, he might have said, no, Timothy is not partaking in that. And no, he's not going to that meeting. And no, he's not going to go to church camp. And, you know, and, and he just wasn't there supporting. And that still did not negate the effect of Eunice's faith in the life of Timothy. And so first of all, we see that she had a faith that was real. Secondly, she laid a foundation. I just wrote down, a foundation is required. Look back in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. I'm going to show you a verse, and when you see it, you go, oh yeah, uh, we know this verse. Because we looked at it at the beginning of the year. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. There's a foundation that's required. And Timothy learned some things. Paul's encouraging him to continue. 
Now, he had learned some things from Paul, but Paul understood that he was building on a foundation that had been previously established. If you look at verse number 15, he says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture. So in other words, uh, you know, Paul wasn't there when Timothy was a child. Where was he learning that? He was learning it from his mom. He learned it from his mom, his grandma. And so uh, they had laid a foundation in his life that Paul got to build on later on. It was, had been established. And let me, let me read you this statement. Uh, I read this in another place. But it says, The subject of early education is vital, not only because it provides information, but because it provides a lens through which all other information is seen. Did you hear that? Let me, let me read it to you one more time, because I think it's really important that we understand this. The subject of early education is vital not only because of the information it provides, but because it becomes a lens through which all other information is viewed. How many of you know the name Ken Ham? Some of you know that name. There's a ministry called Answers in Genesis that uh, this Australian man named Ken Ham has started um, if you ever get down in uh, southern Ohio near Cincinnati, there's a creation museum. And he even built a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. It's pretty fascinating. That's the ministry of Answers in Genesis. But Ken Ham has built an entire ministry based on the premise that if Christians would understand and believe the first three chapters of the Bible, they'd have no problem with the rest of the Bible. You see, if you believe and understand that God created the heavens and the earth, tonight we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 37. And Ezekiel sees before him a valley of dry bones. Remember that chapter? And God asks him the question, Ezekiel, can these bones live? <laughs> now, if I showed you a pile of bones this morning, and I said, uh, hey, can these bones live? You'd say, no, I don't think so. They're pretty dead. They're dry. I mean, there, wasn't, there was no meat on them. There was nothing. It was just bones. But Ezekiel actually gave a good answer. He said, Lord, thou knowest. In other words, Ezekiel said, hey, as far as I'm concerned, no, but, uh, but yet I know, God, you're able to do anything. As a matter of fact, Lord, if you could make life out of the dust of the ground, you could make bones live. And those bones did rattle together and live. We'll see that tonight. But the point is this. If you can believe that God created the heavens and the earth, if you know that God breathed into man the breath of life, then all the other miracles, when Lazarus was dead and for four days and Jesus asked his sister uh, Martha, uh, do you believe that he can live again? Martha gave a great answer too. You know, first she said, Lord, if you'd been here, he would not have died. She believed he could heal. 
But then he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And do you believe this, Martha? And she said, Lord, I believe. Whatever you ask the Father, he'll do it. See, she had a faith that if God can do what he did in Genesis, he can, he can give life to her dead brother. If we understand in Genesis chapter 3 that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, that answers a lot of questions this world has. All I'm saying is that early education, things we learn in Sunday school, I've learned, I, I really under, came to understand a few years after I became a pastor and was studying the scripture, trying to get doctrine right and and I really began to understand that I, I had such a foundation that, of, of things that were taught to my life as a child in Sunday school. That I was really uh, far ahead of some other people going to college with me that had gotten saved out of a, a home that knew nothing of God. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11... By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And what, what was it that gave uh, Moses the, the wherewithal to make a decision like that? Well, I believe, and I think you do too, that uh, the, just a little bit of time he spent at nursing with his mother, Jochebed, that she, she instilled those things in his heart. And even though he grew up in the palace of the daughter of Pharaoh, he knew the God of the Hebrews. And he knew that he would be better off following them. And so Timothy learned. That's the foundation being laid. And, and then he was assured of these things. The foundation being strengthened. And I'll just say this and we'll move on. He not only heard them from his mother, but he saw them in her life. And that's, that was, that's what really makes the difference. I heard many things from my mom about God, but I also saw the reality of them living out in her life. And I was assured of them. So there's a, a faith that is real. There's a foundation that's required. And last of all, a fruit that remains. Timothy was brought up and nurtured in the admonition of the Lord. And, and uh, here we begin to see the fruit of that. He served the Lord alongside of Paul. And let me just say it this way. Eunice was careful to lay the foundation. That's the responsibility of parents. But the day comes, and we all realize it, even uh, when they're little sitting on your lap, we all know that the day's going to come when pretty soon they're going to launch out into the world. And I can only imagine the day that came when Timothy uh, said, I, Mom, I'm, I'm going to go and serve the Lord with Paul. Can you imagine Lois and Eunice, she saw what happened to Paul in Lystra. She saw that he was... You know, they threw stones at him and, and tried to kill him. And she knew the trouble that he had 
endured in his missionary journeys. And, and yet, she said, you know, in her heart, I believe, even though we don't have it recorded, I think it could be implied that, uh, you know, there might have been some fear, there might have been some worry, there might have been some tears, but, but I believe she was pleased to see her son serve God. Well, I thought about uh, a couple moms that are stand out in the Bible. One, of course, is Jochebed, the mother of Moses. Another is Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Both of those moms had to turn their sons over rather quickly. They nurtured them in the little bit of time they had. And as you know, Jochebed had to eventually put Moses in a basket and and put him in the Nile River. Can you imagine that? It's, it's kind of uh, hard to think about all the emotions that were going on and what came to that final decision. But she trusted God, that God had a purpose for his life. We see that in the Scripture. She's in, the, in Hebrews 11, in the faith chapter of the Bible, and it says his parents recognized that he was a proper child, that that God had a plan, that God had a purpose for his life. And, and uh, she, at a, at a younger age than most moms, had to commit him to God and to that purpose. Now, we don't normally have to do that when they're just big enough to put in a basket. But there comes a day somewhere along the way where that's required. And if we've laid the foundation and they've seen those things established in, in our own lives. We can claim the promise that if we bring them up in the way they should go, by God's grace, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. I'll just give you three thoughts and we'll close quickly. Three statements. I would say, you know, the day's going to come when you have to send them off and that's why the Bible likens children to arrows. And we shoot them out and we hope they fly straight and we pray they'll hit the target of God's will. And to accomplish that, i just give you these three things. Be diligent and consistent in the time God has provided. Be diligent and consistent in nurturing them and laying that foundation. Number two, be careful be especially careful about who their influences will be. Timothy was noted in the church. It seemed like uh, you know, his influences came from the people of God, God's children. And of course, then the Apostle Paul. And it's important in our day. Uh, we have, you know, our kids, are, they really are influenced quite a lot online by YouTube and all manner of things. And we have to be careful about those things. And then number three, be willing to let them go to God's calling in their life. So be diligent, consistent, be careful about their influences, and then be willing to let them go and fulfill the will of God for them. I'll close with one verse, two verses out of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. 
I found this kind of an interesting thought in the context of Mother's Day. In Luke chapter 11, look down at verse number 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, Jesus was talking, and a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. What's she saying? She's saying, basically, because she was trying to honor Jesus and saying, you know, your mom was so blessed to have you as a son. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 28. He said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. I just thought that was an interesting scripture. You know, there is a blessedness to motherhood inherent in it. But even more blessed is the mom that hears the word of God and follows it. Because the fruit of that in the life of the children will bear itself out. And so that's my encouragement to the mothers today, but to all of us. If you had a mom that laid a foundation in your life of a real faith, a genuine walk with God, then you can be very, very thankful. Some of you didn't have that. But you can be thankful that today we can still be privileged to you know, work at making our faith more real. Laying those foundations and then helping the generation that follows us to try to instill into their life the principles that will keep them in the days when they launch out into this world. I'll never forget the day we left Nathan at college. I mean, I... I, I, it was a Christian college. It seemed like a really good place. I was, in, I was excited for him. But when we were saying goodbye, my wife sobbed like we'd just put him in a grave. She cried and cried. We drove down to Miami and she cried halfway there from Pensacola. And she just was, you know, knowing that I wasn't going to see my son for many years but praying and praying that God would keep His hands strong upon him. And Nathan was blessed to have a mom. And so is Josh and Rachel and Sarah. I have that same blessing. My mom and my grandma praying for me. Maybe you can be that blessing in somebody else's life. To hold them up in prayer, to encourage them to call them, to just model before them a, a true walk with God. Well, hope that can be a help to you today. Let's, let's pray together.